Hey there, welcome to LSAT Demon Daily Digest. I'm Ben Olson, that's Nathan Fox. Together we're the founders of LSATdemon.com and our weekly podcast, Thinking LSAT. Here's what we talked about this week. We have an email here from uh, Brandon. Okay. Ben and Nathan, I'm a URM, African-American Air Force veteran with an MBA and an MS in accounting, CPA, 3.82 undergraduate GPA, semicolon, could have been better, but I went to undergrad while working 50 hours a week, 50 hours weekly in the service. I am from a low income inner city Dallas family and through hard work have been able to change my situation, but I am not done. My goal is to make it to the top 10, I'm sorry, to make it to a top 10 law program. My GPA is a little low, but hoping a competitive LSAT score can offset this. Since I used my GI Bill for two grad programs, I'm currently out of education benefits and refuse to pay for law school. I'm currently a senior associate in corporate strategy for a Fortune 10 company where I have a demanding schedule. I took a diagnostic a year ago, scored a 140, and decided to purchase a Blueprint Prep account semicolon. That was a mistake. I did not have time to remember their gimmick strategies with my work schedule. I came across the Demon podcast and purchased the Demon Live semicolon. You really like these, don't you, Brandon? It has been unreal. The common sense approach and explanations resonate with me. With a 140 diagnostic, applying this cycle is not in the cards. I want to know how I should prepare to score a 170 plus on the LSAT so I can apply at the very earliest next cycle to start fall of 2024. I'm accustomed to hard work and grinding a and grinding day a day at a time while loving the process. In the military, we call that embracing the suck. I'm not a person <laughs> that gets easily deterred by individual data points such as one diagnostic but I want to be practical. With that being said, is it a pipe dream to think that I can go from a 140 to a 170 plus? What do you think? Pipe dream? I don't think it's a pipe dream at all. We've seen it happen. Um, forget everything you learned in Blueprint. Focus on really understanding one question at a time. I don't think it has to suck at all. I think that you should enjoy it if you're doing it you know, ideally, I think that you're going to decide that it's a fun, easy game for you. Yep. I mean, maybe you have to embrace the suck at first to get over that hump of getting used to something new. And I kind of like that idea of like embracing the shittiness and realizing that it's not necessarily as shitty as maybe you imagine it is, right? Like if you just accept that you're going to go through it, then you end up going through it as opposed to it becoming an excuse not to work or not to do things that will get you ultimately what you want, which is a high LSAT score and a great law school. I think that you might not need something so high as a 170. African-Americans are still pretty seriously underrepresented in law schools and a 165 and a 3.82 undergraduate GPA, and then all your other credentials. I mean, your softs are like really, really strong. Law schools love 
people who have been successful in the business world. They love veterans. Uh, you've got a lot of feathers in your cap. So, you know, don't let the 170 something goal interfere with you making it to 150 and 160 and 165. But yeah, come to class, ask questions, you know, do your best. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. You're going to miss some questions and we're going to help you understand why you missed it so that you don't miss another version of that exact same question again, because the test is extremely repetitive. Yeah, it's 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 extremely susceptible to hard work. If you're doing the if you're doing the right kind of hard work and which, you know, I have no question about your work ethic. If you if you just do what we ask you to do for like an hour a day, I know you're going to make a ton of progress. Yep. To point out the hard work is doing a question and then digging into that question and understanding it. It's not, oh, I did 100 questions today. Look at me. I'm such a hard worker. It's of the questions that you do, even if that's only three or five or 10, you get them. And you can turn around and explain them to someone else like a boss. The, the students who resist the test are less successful. So the students who just kind of do a question, they miss it, and then they review it and they go, oh, well, that's kind of bullshit. I mean, I see it was like a trap. And, you know, the, oh, this answer is better than that one. And I get it. And then they just immediately do another question. Those students don't improve as much. The students yep. who improve are the ones who, when they miss a question, they immediately take it on themselves and go, OK, I picked a wrong answer. I also failed to pick a right answer. Now, let me review this thoroughly so that I can see how the right answer makes perfect sense and so that I can see how the wrong answer makes no sense. And I'm going to really clean that up. That was my bad and I'm going to fix it, not just, oh, this test is kind of bullshit. I'm going to do another one. Yep. A variant of that is, oh, OK, I see why the correct answer is correct. But if the correct answer weren't here, right, I can see why the answer I chose would work. And it's like, not quite. You're trying to rationalize why that answer is good, but it's not good. It's bad. No, it's wrong. It's really it's, bad. Yeah, it's objectively wrong. The, the wrong answers are wrong for reasons. It's not, oh, that one was just better. No, it was better because it's good because it answers the question. Yours is not good at all. And you've got to understand both of those mistakes that you made. And if you just do that one, at, one day at a time, Brandon, one question at a time, um, yeah, I, I know that you'll make big progress. Yep. If you can come to enjoy that, then it will no longer be suck. But if you can embrace <laughs> that suck, all the power to you, you'll get, you'll get a very high score. Um, Brandon says, PS, my wife is an anesthesiologist who has no interest in law, but loves the podcast due to your blunt, no bullshit approach to helping people. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, Brandon sent this into LSAT Demon Daily, by the way. Um, you, boy, tell your wife that she should also be listening to Thinking LSAT. There's uh, <laughs> much, much more in, on uh, Thinking LSAT. <laughs> I would never recommend it to someone who's not interested in law, but okay. 
We have an email here from Finch P. Hi, Nathan and Ben. I have some hesitation about a particular application decision, and it will be influenced by my LSAT score. The general advice is that applying early decision to law schools is a scam. I agree for the most part. However, I'm in a position to apply early decision to a school, which is my top choice, with a certain guaranteed scholarship. Okay, what's that scholarship? Is it full? Is it half? There are two likely outcomes. Admittance with the, a decent or perhaps full scholarship or waitlisted slash punted to regular decision. If I get an LSAT score above their 50th median, I will apply early decision since I'm a splitter. Otherwise, I'll retake. I'd consider a, applying regular decision if I get above their 75th percentile median or 75th percentile, but that is statistically unlikely. Either way, I'm applying early and broadly. The biggest disadvantage is not being able to negotiate scholarships semicolon, but given my GPA and based on your scholarship estimator, I am not likely to get many competitive offers, even if I hit a 175 plus. Do you think it makes sense in my case to consider this particular early decision program? The school's acceptance rate has been shrinking, but their yield has not been doing significantly better relative to peer schools. So it seems that it may help and the included scholarship would be a huge boon since I'm like unlikely to get full tuition offers at most schools. Be nice to know what your GPA is, Finch, but it sounds low. But even with a low GPA, I mean, at a 175, you can still get full rides at 100 law schools. Yeah, so what, what GPA are you talking about, Finch? And are you not willing to move? I don't know. Finch, I think Finch Finch's is unlikely is to go a to a lower-ranked school. Yeah. You know, Finch is just like, well, I'm not likely to get many competitive offers, even if I hit a 175 plus, because there is some floor that I have set for myself where I will not go to law schools below a certain ranking. Yeah. Which maybe you have good reasons for that, Finch, but normally people don't have good reasons for that. Um, so sounds like you're listening to our advice. Uh, but you're maybe not listening to our advice on that one point. That said, it seems like Finch has thought this through. And this particular school, if it is Finch's number one choice, and if it does come with a scholarship, and if Finch is very unlikely to get a scholarship at this type of a school, then sure, uh, apply. You'd be happy to turn down all your other offers, it sounds like, if you get into this school. That said, I mean, you know, the counter argument to that, of course, is you could apply regular decision and you could apply regular decision to 29 other schools and then you see could just what you get, see what kinds of offers you actually get. I mean, I understand that this school right now is your number one choice, but some other school that makes you a really bitchin offer could all of a sudden be your new number one choice. So, yeah, generally no to binding early decision, but it does. Yeah. I mean, it does sound like Finch has thought about it, so <laughs> don't really know. Yeah. I mean, you can get a Beamer at a discounted price or you can get a Civic for free. Maybe the Civic doesn't sound so exciting right now, but boy, when you see a free Civic. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, take it. <laughs> 
Well, yeah. And the difference, again, the difference might not be that stark. Yeah. Right. I'm not like a car guy, so I don't know what the intermediate choices are. But there are there are cars in between Mm -hmm. Beamers and Civics. And, you know, there there could be some other car that's, oh, I wasn't expecting a Mazda, whatever. And no, that's a pretty nice car, actually. And, oh, hmm, maybe it's worth, you know, I don't know. You, You just you don't even get to. You don't even get to consider all those other offers if you get in via a binding early decision program. And that could be that could really suck, too, because you could be looking at those other offers like, fuck, I could have gone to that school for free. Yeah, I'm a little concerned, too, because Finch says admittance with a decent or perhaps full scholarship. I'm wondering how much the school has said they would provide in scholarships for their ED applicants, right? Maybe it's a certain guaranteed scholarship. Like, what is it? What does that mean? Right? $5,000. We guarantee we're going to give you something. Well, that could be shit. So five grand and it's, you know, 10% of their tuition or not even 10% of their tuition. That's not good. That's nothing. I mean, it's basically nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Here we have an email from Dom says, uh, hi, Ben and Nathan, do you have, General advice for someone who feels like they still just don't get it. By this, I mean, you can grind out the questions you understand, but you don't fully understand the task and stimulus for the more challenging questions resulting in mixed success. So in other words, every LSAT student ever. Yep. I mean, you understand the ones you understand and you struggle with the ones you don't understand. Yep. You're going to hit a ceiling at some point and then you got to break through it. Uh, Dom says, that is how I feel about many logic games that are intermediate to advanced in difficulty. But it also happens for LR and RC questions, too. I fear that I will never take that true step toward LSAT mastery and my LSAT score will never be as high as it could be. Okay, so you're struggling in all areas of the test. We get it. My average practice test score is a 152 and the highest score is a 157. My goal is a 170 or better. Well, right now, Dom, your goal should be a 160. Yeah, get above 160 and then make a new goal. Of 165. Yep. My college GPA is a 3.87 and I was a philosophy major during my time at UC Santa Cruz. I am considering the option of trying the basic LSAT demon plan and upgrading the plan over the course of my studies as I hopefully progress. Um, That's great. We would love to have you, Dom, in any capacity. But normally, I would recommend instead of doing it that way, I might flip it. I might try one month of LSAT Demon Live. In one month, for $295, you're going to get access to multiple live classes seven days a week. You can choose the ones that fit your schedule choose the classes that choose the choose the teachers that you like. And we're going to blow your mind with we're just going to change the way you approach the test. Right now, Dom, I have a feeling that the 170 goal is actually preventing you from scoring 160 or 165. That's really common where you try to shoot for 170 on every test and you just do too many questions and you just don't understand. And what you really need to do is try to get that 160 on the board. And that's just going to be like, understand one more question in each section. My plan is to take the official LSAT for the first time in January of 2023. 
My goal is a T14 school, but I'm not dead set on that particular tier. All these like long range goals, you know? No, your goal needs to be much more down to earth, down to today. Let's talk about getting into the 160s. And by even that, I mean, let's talk about the questions that you got wrong and let's just figure out why you got them wrong and get those right. And then you have no idea how long this process will take. You might be ready by November. I don't know why you're you're saying, oh, I got to wait until January. Then again, you might not be ready until April. <laughs> yeah, there's just no point. There's also no point having T14 school or these other questions. I mean, Dom says, I would be ecstatic to get into a T25 school at the right price. I have taken T25? Why 25? Who knows? I mean, Dom, you just need to apply broadly and then see what kind of offers you get. But before you even think about that, you need to get one more LSAT question right today. You need to unlock one more logic game today. And you got to take a breath. You got to slow way down. You got to focus on each step, not the whole damn mountain. Yep. I've taken to heart your guys's methodology of not paying for law school to the best of one's ability. Well, actually, just don't pay for law school. That's our mantra. Yep. Everybody can not pay for law school. It's simple. Don't pay for law school. Yep. Ultimately, I'm trying to approach this journey with the mindset of leaving it all out on the field and knowing whatever I gave the LSAT. Sorry. And knowing that I gave the LSAT everything I had when it comes to time, attention, energy and effort. God willing, the rest will follow whatever that might entail. I feel like sorry, Dom, I feel like you're trying way too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually hurting you stuff. as well. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, I'm going to do it all. It's like, this shouldn't be a grin and bear thing. This should be do a question. And yeah, you're going to try hard to really understand it. And you're going to try hard to figure it out. But, you know, then if you're like taxed out, fine, take a break. <laughs> then come back and do another question. This, is, this feels to me like I've got to do it perfect. I've got to do all this stuff. And that just makes this like draining. Yeah. And he's, he's climbing the whole mountain in one day mm -hmm. um, it, instead of just taking a step and you know, you're, you're, you've got your, you got your eye on the mountaintop instead of your eye on the steps in front of you. Yep. You look at the mountaintop to figure out what direction you want to walk and then you forget it and you focus on your next steps. Yep. And, and it's really just one more question, Dom. It's not finish the section and get a 170. It's do the same number of questions or do fewer questions. Almost guarantee mm. you're doing too many questions, Dom. Do fewer questions, but get more of them correct. And your score should almost immediately be in the 160s. Thank you for all of your hard work and especially your podcast videos on YouTube. YouTube is, in fact, how I found you guys. And I look forward to your analysis of my situation. Thank you again. Sincerely, Dom. Dom, thanks for writing in. Um, I hope that's helpful. One question at a time. You got this. This is from Raphael. It says, Dear Ben and Nathan, first off, thanks for all you do. I've been studying with the demon for two months now, and my understanding of the test has grown enormously. 
I've made my way from a diagnostic of 159 to scoring in the low 170s, and I'm continuing to improve. My question for you guys regards my personal statement as a current undergraduate student. I'm entering my senior year at a four-year institution, and I feel as though I don't have anything, quote, good enough to write about. Listening to you guys discuss some of the personal statements on Demon Daily, I feel as though my accomplishments simply don't measure up to those of my peers. I've co-founded, co-founded and led student clubs and organizations and conducted summer research, but my work experience is rather limited to being a kayak instructor of all things. Am I just overthinking this and these are fine things to write about for my personal statement? Any advice would be appreciated. Thanks, Raphael. Raphael, just make sure you're getting the highest GPA you can get since you're still in undergrad. Assuming you're doing that, when it comes to your personal statement question, which is really low on our priority list, but when it comes to that, yes, you are overthinking it and all of these things could be fine things to write about. Just present yourself as a thoughtful, professional person doing whatever it is you're doing. Yeah, show yourself doing really well at a thing that you are passionate about and engaged in. Kayak instructor sounds awesome. I would love to read a personal statement about a kayak instructor. Yeah, that would what be is amazing. There to learn? Yeah. I'm sure you had lots of responsibility. You I'm sure you worked really hard. You had to work with people. You had to uh, assuage people's fears when they were trying to learn how to do this, maybe, or maybe you were kayak instructing at a high level where the people were like trying to be competitive sport kayakers or whatever. I don't know. It all sounds cool to me. Like that would be a look inside a world that I don't know anything about. I would be learning about you as I learn about the world of kayaking. And that's just, that sounds awesome. That's like so interesting compared to most personal statements. I mean, Half of all the people who apply to law school are like right out of undergrad. None of those people have done anything that's really actually that special. Yep. You know, it's 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 what it is. It's a snapshot of you demonstrating some aspect of you that they can't get from your grades and your LSAT and your transcript and your resume. And so tell me about you being the best kayak instructor you could be, or tell me about you founding one of these clubs or organizations. Absolutely. Um, but don't worry about this until you get your best LSAT score on record. Heck, you might not get your 170s the first attempt, and so then you end up taking time to take the LSAT again, and during that time you come up with something that's much more obvious to you to write about in your personal statement. This is why it's just not a concern. And given the fact that you're in college, huh, focus on your GPA. If yeah, your LSAT and your grades matter so much more than this personal statement. Yep. It, this is just, it's, uh, it shouldn't even be on your radar right now. You should just literally not even be thinking about it. Don't care. You should be. You know, if you're on summer break, you should be working on the LSAT. If to get rid of the yeah. in the semester, you should be getting straight A's and maybe working on your LSAT if you can work on your LSAT and still get straight A's. Yep. You can write this personal statement in a week when the time comes, but that time is not now. Yep. 
and it'll be much easier to write with a 170 plus in your hand. You're gonna be like, you yeah. know what? I'm going to a great school. So now I need to do this and I need to do it well and I'm gonna do a great job and then I'm gonna go to the next step of the application. Please consider a gap year if you're not already considering that. If if you're sending this this email now because you're trying to apply this September at the beginning of your senior year, um, uh, you don't have to do that. You can wait. You can lock up the best LSAT you can lock up. You can lock up the best grades you can lock up. Yep. Then apply next fall. Take a year off. Travel the world. Do whatever, who cares, and then start law school a year after. You've been working hard. There's no reason not to take a break. I mean, and if you want to work, you can work. But there's no need to go straight from undergrad, especially if it means you're sacrificing at all on your grades or your GPA, because those are the things that are going to really move the needle applications wise. We have an email here from David. Gentlemen. I'm currently testing around 168 to 170, a pretty tight range, and almost all of my lost points are on the games. Oh, good. Yeah, that's great. In order to really improve on the game sections, I think I would benefit from some live classes, but I am currently working overseas and the 12-hour time difference makes it unrealistic for, unrealistic for me to attend them. If I were to upgrade to live, I would only be able to watch the recordings of the classes once they were posted. I think the recorded classes are valuable as review review material to go back over a class a student actually participated in, but I am not sure they have a lot of value as standalone study material. Do you think students get significant benefit from watching the recorded classes if they simply cannot attend any live classes or would they be better off just continuing self-study and using the explanations and ask button? Students have told me that they get value out of doing the classes asynchronously. Um, it may or may not be the right fit for you, David. I would try it for a month. If you decide it's not helping you, you can downgrade back to premium or basic. I mean, you need to just do lots and lots of games, David. You need to do games every single day. So you can drill every day with a basic or premium account. You can watch video explanations every day with a basic or premium account. You can do both of those things. You can take time sections with a basic or premium account. And the videos where we explain the whole game thoroughly are a really great way to learn. The classes are great, too. You just would have to, you know, I think people use the classes for motivation a lot. It's a commitment device. It's like, nope, I'm signing up for this class because I'm going to do LSAT logic games for this hour. And if you use those videos that same way where you're like, hey, I'm going to have to watch it, you know, 12 hours later, but I'm going to do Matt's logic games boot camp every week, or I'm going to do the, the whatever classes, you know, we have several logic games classes. If you're going to do those classes and you're going to like put them on the calendar and you're going to do the class, then the experience is going to be very much the same. I mean, the teacher is going to like give you time to work on the game and maybe one of the students is going to the way Matt does it. You know, Matt works his way through the game or the, the, the student talks Matt through the game on the whiteboard and 
you just pretend like you're in the class live. The only difference is you can't use the chat or can't raise your hand to get called on. But if you're going to do those classes that way, I could still see you getting lots of value out of it. I would say give it a try. If you don't like it, <laughs> tell us and uh, we'll downgrade you and refund you for that difference. It said, you said, I think the recorded classes are valuable as review material to go back over a class a student actually participated in. I don't think anyone actually uses them for that. They might. I mean, it's, you don't have I to I think take they notes, mainly watch, new, watch them as new material. I think that's what. Yeah, I would say that probably more people watch them asynchronously, like pretend. I think more people use it as a pretend class. As a pretend class, not as a, oh, I'm going to go review yeah. a class I already participated yeah. in. I would, I would suspect that's almost zero. <laughs> I think most yeah. people are watching them as classes for the first time. Right. I mean, unless there was like some discussion that they were having a hard time following an arcane bit of whatever, and they wanted to run it back and review a bit of it. Sure. I could see people doing that in lieu of, you know, furiously taking notes during a class. But no, I think most people, David, do it the way you're talking about doing it, which is, yeah, I couldn't come live, but I watched the, I watched the class later when it was yep. posted. So give it a shot. You can always email uh, help at lsatdemon.com if you decide it's not working and you want to downgrade. And thanks for being part of the team and the demon universe or whatever it is, our community. Email daily at lsatdemon.com if you'd like to ask us a question or share some LSAT or law school admissions news. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.